sliding him inside right now. Ziggler ball knocked away by Boswell. Ziggler gets it back. Seven on the shot clock. Boswell all over Ziggler now. Throws across court, right corner. Open. Three ball. Good. Courtney Ramey. Works his way in lob play for Ballo. Layup is good. But inside, nobody open there. Back door cut to Larson. He'll lay it in. Hello and welcome to Biased, an Arizona basketball podcast. I am your host, Ricky Garrett, here with Ed Bardo. Welcome everybody in the offseason here. Uh, glad to have you on board. I know now that the season is over, now that we have a champion, now that March Madness is over, that a lot of you have probably forgotten about uh, college basketball. But here on Biased, of course, we don't stop thinking Arizona. We don't stop thinking about basketball. And so we're going to kind of bring up a few good off-season topics. We think that have become topics of discussion for a lot of folks, not just Arizona. So, Ricky, what do you think? Well, first I wanted to talk about UConn being our national champions. So UConn beat SDSU 76-59 to to win the 2023 national championship. Uh, gave the Huskies their fifth title since 1999, and boy, am I jealous of that. Uh, but it also gave Dan Hurley his first title, which kind of hurts. But uh, I actually like Dan Hurley a lot more than I like Bobby Hurley. <laughs> I actually, I, I like both of them, to be honest. I don't have a problem with that. But it's like when someone, when it comes to def- doing it, I mean, UConn, both in the women's and men's basketball program, don't they have enough, uh, don't they have enough uh, titles? The, the thing that struck me about UConn is UConn has been the, uh, this is like the second time in recent memory. The other time, I guess, was against Kentucky. I think it was. I can't remember what it was, but uh, they had recently won unexpectedly. They weren't the obvious pick to be the title winner, and then they've got they went the distance and did it. UConn fifth title. Congratulations, UConn. Well deserved. Average margin of victory: twenty points a game, one hundred and twenty points overall. Uh, distancing themselves from their competitors, so it was like I think the fifth most dominant. Uh, Fifth most, fifth most dominant run in the modern era since the 64-68 team field has been out there. So congratulations, UConn. There was no question you were the champion. And there was that point in the season where we all thought that this might not happen for them because they had lost six straight. You know, it looked pretty rough. And then they ended up putting the run together to win six straight. That's what you want to do is, is get the team together and win six straight, your last six, and win the title. And they did it. And they looked, like you said, very impressive doing it. They are very much the national really, champion. Absolutely. I think it was really fascinating. One of the things that you and I were making a correlation on is it seemed that both Dan and Bobby were playing on the same day. So the, day, uh, the first time when Arizona State was playing Arizona and UConn was playing on the same day, they both lost. Both of the earlys lost the same day, almost within just hours of each other. And then in that surprising upset where ASU beats us, the UConn won that day as well. So there seemed to be this thing going on in the background that we were paying attention to. And I don't mean to make fun of ASU here, or maybe I do, but it was funny because after UConn won the title, uh, ASU posted that it was a family win (laughs) for both Dan and Bobby Hurley. I I don't want to say it, but I'm going to anyway, and that is, well, that might be the closest they get to a title. Put on plum, there it is. Absolutely. I mean, they're, they're going to lose Devin Cambridge, ASU is, so, uh, and I think they're losing a couple other guys to the transfer portal, so uh, ASU could look totally different next year as well. But speaking of looking different, uh, just a couple of days ago, Azulis Tubelis decided that he was going to declare for the NBA draft. 
Uh, what are your initial thoughts on Azulis making that push for the NBA draft? I think that, you know, I, I was kind of torn. You know, I asked you what, you, you know, I asked you earlier. It's been a while. He's been quiet. What do you think? And in, in all honesty, I thought, yeah, he's likely going to do it. The reason I thought that he might, uh, th- there was two things that ran through my mind. One was, does he do it knowing that he's not going to be a top pick? Okay, so one of the things you have to ask yourself is, you know, if you're not going to be a top pick, is it worth playing an extra season to try to improve your play, or do you just go for the money and do it? And I think Azulis, my thinking was Azulis was going to play pro one way or the other. He was going to go into the European leagues or something, or he he was going to go NBA. And he, and he's had the big, he had such a big jump between last year and this year. He really kind of was at the peak of his game. He got both the scoring and the rebounding title in the Pac-12. He had, you know, he just had a lot of check marks on his resume to say, you know, maybe it's now or never. So I can't fault him for making that move. How about you? Yeah. And I mentioned this to you a couple times during the season. He kind of is what he is, right? So him coming back to Arizona for one more year, he probably wasn't going to get much better defensively. And I don't know that Tommy Lloyd was going to give him the reins to shoot, you know, threes as much as he wanted to practice those jumpers. Um, so I kind of think he was what he was. And so it's a great time for him to at least try. You know, I don't know that he's going to have those NBA draft camps like Dale and Terry did or or even um, TJ McConnell, where maybe he's not in the mock drafts in the first or second round, and maybe he sneaks in because of a good workout or whatnot. Uh, he might, but I actually see him going really, really late if he's lucky in the second round or you know, ending up playing overseas uh, he might get signed after the draft. That's actually what happened with TJ. Um, so we'll see. It, it's it's interesting because he's kind of in that middle ground where he could have come back and dominated, and he probably would have been player of the year next year in the Pac-12, or you know leave and get the money. And you know eventually he chose to to go and get the money, and he deserves it. He played a a great season. He had you know really rough NCAA tournaments uh, at least this year and last year. So it's tough for him to leave on that note. But as far as the regular season goes, and if you want to count the postseason of you know the Pac-12 tournament, you can't argue that he and Arizona dominated. That's right. And I, I, I wish all the best for Azulis. And I, it's like as you said, if he were to play another season, what would he work on that would improve his NBA game? You kind of you took the first one right off my list. I would say that if he wanted to be that guy, you know, that Lowry marketing type of thing where he's the big guy who can shoot from outside. That ups his that ups his uh, you know his potency right away as a as this guy who can uh, as a big guy who can hit from the outside. But I don't think he was going like you said. I don't really think that that was going to happen, and I don't think that was worth staying another season to develop. Outside of that, he's never going to be that you know that big dominant post guy that just shoves people out the way. He was a finesse player down low, and he he tended to do those slick little unconventional moves that got him the scoring that he did. So I agree with you. I mean, I, I wish him nothing but the best, but I think it's a great move for him, and I'm hoping that he actually gets called in the draft. I'll be looking for that. Yeah, he kind of reminds me of Lowry Markinen and also Channing Fry, and that's kind of the move he's going to have to make where Channing Fry and Lowry Markinen were good post players at Arizona. Lowry actually did shoot threes decently for Arizona, but not at the clip that he's shooting them now. And so I think just like Lowry Markinen, just like Channing Fry. Tubelis is going to have to develop that jump shot. That is what the NBA is all about. That, and if he can, that's de- what he's going to have to do. Yeah, if he can develop that, I think he'll he'll be just fine. Um, but he's got to emulate those guys' games. Now I know they're much taller and lankier, 
but if he can develop that jump shot, he can have that kind of a, have that kind of a career. Excuse me. And uh, you know, we'll, we'll look forward to watching him play if he gets drafted. Uh, if he plays overseas, you know, great. He'll probably be going close to home, right? So I don't think he'd be disappointed with that either. Yeah, it was great calling bringing up Channing Fry. I hadn't thought about him. I was always amazed. He kind of had a spot stuck in my mind where I was blown away how he turned into a three-point shooter in the NBA because that's not what he did at Arizona. He could shoot. He could shoot him for sure, but he wasn't a. That wasn't his the strength of his game. And suddenly he gets into the NBA and he really did that. So I agree with you. I think that if uh, Zoo gets in that position and stuff, he'll he, I, he has a potential to develop. He's shown moments. It's not his game really, but he could. I see a chance that he could develop it, but. Uh, Best of luck to him. And I, again, you and I, of course, will be watching draft night and uh, watching to see where the Arizona players go. I can tell you, last year was exciting to see three of our players go in the first and second round. Yeah, it'd be nice to have Arizona represented with Azulis being drafted. But if not, no worries. We will have some guys probably next year or the year after. Uh, speaking of which, Azulis was not the only one to leave Arizona. We also lost Kerr Kreisa to West Virginia, Adama Ball, who actually just uh, decided to go to Santa Clara. So he's going to go to Santa Clara. We know that team very well. Uh, and then we lost, obviously, Courtney Ramey and Cedra, Ced Henderson. Um, those both graduated, so they were done. They were out of eligibility. But uh, first, let's talk about Kerr. What are your thoughts on Kerr Kreisa leaving for West Virginia and playing with Bob Huggins? Or for Bob Huggins. Well, that 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 to me was a pretty dramatic exit, and uh, and what, what, in just a moment I'll ask you what your thoughts were in terms of what the reason was. But I think that's a really huge and dramatic exit to have the Arizona program, and it certainly makes you lift your head and ask, okay, what was behind that? But so West Virginia is going to be a distinctly different program, and it's certainly his, his being the player that he uh, proven player that he is seasoned as he is. Uh, he is certainly going to work, you know, he'll work in any system. Working with Bob Huggins will be interesting. He said that he knew Bob was the right guy when he saw him draw, drive up to meet him in an old truck. And he said, that's my kind of coach. You know, he, he kind of had a personal reaction to that. Um, but we, you and I have had a long, many, many years to kind of watch Bob in his career throughout uh, college basketball here. And we have different mixed feelings, I guess, at times, including at times when he played against Arizona. And I think that uh, we'll see how Kerr adapts to that. But again, you know, he had to make a decision that's right for him. And my big question to you is, so everybody's probably, ta- you know, I, lo- I know all Arizona fans are talking about this, but what are your thoughts in terms of what the drivers were that made him do that in after spending so much time in Arizona and naming himself after an Arizona, you know, being named after an Arizona player? I think that Kerr saw the writing on the wall. I think that Tommy had a serious heart-to-heart with Kerr and said, look, we're going to let Boswell take the keys. I think Kylan's you know, the point guard of the future at Arizona, and he's going to have more playing time. And if Kerr wants to stay, he will have a limited role, possibly even coming off the bench. Um, and I do think that in this age of social media, I think Kerr is one of those players that likes to get on social media and do what he does in games. He likes to talk the talk and kind of get into people's heads a little bit and, you know, put out these interesting comments and, and try and get at you a little bit. But I think he also reads a lot of what fans were saying. And a lot of the fans were saying Kerr needs to go. It's time for a change. It's time for Boswell to take over and let him do what he can do because Boswell showed so many glimpses of hope and promise of what 
an Arizona point guard should be. And it, it's exciting. You know, all the fans are excited to see what Boswell can do. So I think Kirk Risa saw that and said, wow, the fans don't really want me. I'm probably going to have a limited role as coach. You know, I don't know that conversation exactly happened, but I'm assuming that's what happened. So he's probably going to have a limited role either coming off the bench or limited minutes. And is that something he wants or does he want to go to a different school and, and start? And, you know, I do think Bob Huggins was an interesting choice at West Virginia. Uh, I always thought he might go to Xavier and play for Sean Miller, who recruited him. Uh, maybe there wasn't anything there. Maybe Sean, you know, is already stacked and ready to go and doesn't need Kirk Risa, even though he probably would like to have him on the team. But maybe Kirk Risa's role on Xavier would have been limited as well. Uh, but I do think that it's an interesting fit. Bob Huggins was on one of his players last year for getting stupid technicals. And what's Kerr good at doing? <laughs> <laughs> Boy, do we know that one. Well, one of the things, too, is Bob Huggins has been a very emotional coach. You know, he's he he, he lets the game get to him. He's very emotional during the games. And we all remember the time where he had to have heart surgery and all the rest. And I, I honestly believe that a lot of that had to do with the stress of the job and how much, it, it, you know, he really just got into it and so forth. And his emotions shown up as Arizona fans remember uh, what he did after the game where Arizona makes a half-court shot in Phoenix and wins the seven-up challenge. <laughs> right. But um, I question how quickly it's going to be between uh, the way Kerr is emotionally driven uh, and the way Bob Huggins is also that way before they clash, before that emotion clashes. And so I wish him the best, of course, as I do with all of the Arizona players who, who choose to make a decision for what's best for them. But I just question if, if, you know, does that will that actually be the best fit for him? And I hope it is. But I, I, I see some storm clouds on the horizon, I guess I would say. Yeah, I mean, he's not hopping from a great coach in Tommy Lloyd to another, you know, kind of, I don't want to say Bob Huggins is not bad or not a great coach. He is a great coach, but it's just a totally different style. And maybe that's what Kerr needs. Maybe he just needs a totally different style. Um, and Bob Huggins may be that right guy for him. Bob Huggins will not tolerate the silliness and maybe that'll help focus Kerr. Cause I always felt like, and you expressed this a couple of times during the season when Kerr wasn't that, you know, technical getting talking in your face, trying to get the crowd so crazy, which we all, we love most of that. But when he was focused, he actually played really well and we were very impressed with how he played. He was, you know, more timid and he was passing the ball really well. He was shooting the ball well and he wasn't, you know, gloating or doing anything. He was just running back down the court. And you and I both thought, wow, you know, this is a good Kerr. We like this version of Kerr. He was a disciplined and focused Kerr at those times. It seemed as if uh, his basketball IQ definitely increased during that time. Because you and I, become, particularly since the age of uh, the point guard you and particularly re most recently TJ McConnell, we've been forever looking to see how point guard you returns and we deliver a point guard who's the floor general, the guy who can do all the things, the one who really makes the defense think twice, the one who can manage the ball, manage the flow of the game, uses the clock well, uh, looks at game time, follows the coach's strategy, very coachable. Who's that player to do that? TJ McConnell was the icon. He was the best recently. And so often it's a tough standard by which we hold a point guard to about how to be the guy who really controls the flow of the game and makes smart game time decisions, particularly when a game is close. And so often Kerr's emotion and his uh, lack of focus got in the way. And, and I have to give him credit for being passionate about the game and getting everybody involved. But really sometimes there were uh, 
points would almost cost us. And I and I and I'm thinking that he's not the only player that's like that. But in this case, some of it parts it seems that, that he had a useful vigor and stuff that almost got in the way of what he, the point of what he was trying to do. And the other things that he used to say and do that suggested the opposite, which was strange, was that he used to make comments, and he did make comments about how you know certain things just didn't matter. It's just another game, just another thing. And so you remember when he was talking about like, oh, you know, Selection Sunday, oh, it's just another game for us. We don't care. There's no stress. There's no emotion. There's this, if there's no passion behind it. College basketball is all about the thing that's so great that we love about college basketball is the amateur player, you know, the amateur part of it. It's all about pride. It's your school. It's the things, the emotion that does exist behind it. It's your, your ability to come up and have this, these amazing game after amazing game when you have to do it game after game comes from having that kind of passion and drive and belief that you can make a difference. And so those type of statements, of course, were uh, contrary to, you know, playing with the type of emotion you sometimes showed in games. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's crazy to see his career end at Arizona this way. Um, and I, I agree with you. I think he's he's going to be just fine in West Virginia. I think he's going to mature and he's going to make those right moves and he's going to be a leader, I think. I think just like when Sean Miller had that year off of coaching, I think Sean learned a lot. Now, Kerr's not taking a year off, but I think that change of, of scenery, that change of mindset is going to help Kerr mature. I think that's what he needs the most is to mature. And I think Bob Huggins I, might be the I, right I, coach I to do that. My God, that's a perfect description. Your term is almost perfect. That's exactly what I think he needs to do. So I think it's just a, it's a maturity level. He, the funny thing is he strikes me like an emotional freshman. Mm-hmm. You know, the type of mistakes and things he does with his emotion, letting it get out of control and get in the tease that he got reminds me of the, like a freshman, but he's not a freshman. Right. And so that's one of the things that's very interesting is that, uh, I'm very, very curious as to how that's going to go over in, uh, in Bob Huggins program again like I said I see a few storm clouds and clashes coming in the in the future but I'm sure he'll figure it out he'll one way or he'll get his emotion in check and realize he can't escape in the portal again right exactly so with that being said we've got Kerr leaving or left we got Azulis Tabellis going to the NBA draft we've got Adama Ball going to Santa Clara which we hope we never see them in the NCAA tournament for obvious reasons Not particularly if we're a fit, if we're a one or a two seed forget it yeah oh, please don't yeah because you know Adama Ball will turn into Adama Vegas and just torch us from three and say you know here's what you guys missed no out doubt. On. <laughs> that always we, happens we've seen a history of We've seen a history of Arizona players transferring who had somewhat minor roles on Arizona turn out to be these amazing offensive players when they go to another program. So, I mean, Adama wasn't going to be the guy. He started to realize, particularly this year, once the, when the three, when, uh, you know, the team changed up and there was a lot of talk, will Obama Ball step in now and become one of the primary players? He never became more than what he was last year. And so there wasn't much hope for him. So I certainly don't blame him for going when I certainly think that he'll probably get an opportunity to do much more at Santa Clara. And he is very, very good candidate to be one of those Arizona players who moves to a different program and they just suddenly start shooting at lights out. Yeah. What was frustrating for me is I watched all the, the game tape from the games that they played during the summer overseas and Adama Ball uh-huh. was so aggressive. He was, you know, taking pull-up threes. He was driving the lane. He was, you know, driving and kicking and getting his guys open threes. And so I was so excited for this year to be the year that he takes that leap and he makes that that advancement. 
but it never materialized. He never had the playing time. And obviously Tommy Lloyd would give him minutes if he was playing the way he was playing overseas, but obviously it's different competition overseas. But still, it just it set my mind up for Adama Ball is going to make that next jump and he's going to be the guy that we all want him to be. But it just never worked out. And it's unfortunate. But again, with all these transfers going on, you know, a move to Santa Clara might do him some well. And he may turn out to be the player we expected him to be, just not playing for Arizona anymore. That's it. And th- this is what, one of the things that I guess I want to bring up. And, and, if I, and we can continue if you wanted to ask about some of the other players about, for example, said leaving and so forth. But one of the things is, of course, is the transfer portal is really transforming basketball. Uh, it, it really is. It suddenly, uh, it's, I mean, if you think of the number of names that went into the transfer portal, that just shows you how prevalent it's become. No team was immune to the transfer portal. And it had dramatic impacts on the year for year on what a team can look like and, and so forth. So, well, I mean, what are your thoughts? I mean, how do you think the trend, what have you seen and what do you feel about the transfer portal and what it's doing to college basketball? I like the transfer portal for one transfer. I don't like guys bouncing from four different schools in four years. I think that's a little ridiculous. But I think if a coach is able to, you know, leave and get out of a contract or if a coach gets fired and that's the coach that you, you know, were recruited by and that's why you came to that school, then you should be allowed to leave and follow him. You know, that's the whole point is this guy recruited you. You didn't I mean, you came to the school for the school. That's partly it. But really, the big reason is because you wanted to play for that coach on that team. And uh, so if that coach ends up getting fired, uh, I don't see any reason why a player shouldn't be allowed to follow that coach. Uh, But I do think it is ridiculous if you have a guy, like I said, playing at four different schools in four years. I don't know that that's what the transfer portal was meant for. Um, and so I, I like it and I think it's interesting, especially with NIL and now, you know, schools are able to get players financial need that, that they need to, and, you know, to make those decisions. Like if Azulis Tabellis got a good NIL and I heard it was actually very lucrative. I heard it was very attractive and it was, you know, kind of close for him wanting to stay. Um, I like it because now players don't have to leave early especially if we think they're making a bad decision because there have been so many Arizona players that were like, really? They're going to go to the NBA or try to go to the NBA? They're not even near ready for it. And they're only going because they want the money. Now these kids are able to make some money while they're in school. And I think that's going to help a little bit alleviate some of the issues of kids leaving too early when they shouldn't be. And now they're not set up for success. Um, We can set them up for success while they're still in college uh, and then eventually, if they decide to leave for the NBA, great. But at least they don't have to rush that decision because it's all about the money. Now they can make some money while they're in school. And, and I'm totally for the NIL, and I'm totally for the idea of players being able to make money and trying to help them make the right decision before they leave. So many make pursue their basketball dreams only to have them crushed and end up not finishing school or having done anything in school that warranted giving them the professional experience they can do if basketball isn't the way they go. The problem I have essentially with the transfer portal is people who are typically very bad at making decisions about their future and who are likely to get into a, uh, you know, get into a, uh, put themselves into making life-changing decisions really easily are people around that age or maybe potentially a bit younger as college. They're not often able to make valid judgments. So when they have the the ease of making a decision like flicking to a new page on the phone or flicking to a new video on their phones, 
it, it, some, it takes away power from the coaches. One of the problems I have with the NBA, with the exception of very few coaches recently, is the NBA has just all been about players and, and, what, and what they want to do and trying to work, have an organization and a business work, business work it out to try to bring players together. And the coach is just this set piece. Doesn't really have any power. He can't. Nobody's going to tell their star multi-million-dollar players what to do. They can only advise and try to become a friend and try to, uh, you know, do the best they can to manage the situation. But they're secondary to the players. To some extent, the transfer portal seems to shift the power in a little bit like that in college for me because what it does is if a coach wants to drive a hard line and wants to drive things based on trying to mold kids into men, trying to get them to be uh, disciplined players because they come in so undisciplined, there's going to be conflict at times. And when you can get easily, if you're some kid that's easily rattled, you go on and you just jump to the transport and get away from it and then have it happen again. And so it gives a lot of these young kids who are just undisciplined an opportunity to escape instead of trying to make their way through it. I mean, I, the way I think about it is if you allowed, if there wasn't a commitment in basic training for somebody in the military, Odds are they wouldn't make it through and they'd give up at some point, just walk away and think, God, this isn't for me. What ends up happening is because they're forced to finish it off, they end up developing and making it way and developing a certain amount of pride and, and, and character for making it through that, uh, that tough period that they would have easily backed out of on their own, uh, with their own choice. And so that, that's where I, I like the idea of the transfer portal. And I always thought the players should have the right to go to other schools without having to do a redshirt season. But uh, to some extent, it's really gotten to the point where it almost seems to be abused. When I was trying to go through the list of just how many players were in it, you know, it just it was mind-boggling how quickly they were just jumping. It's become free agency, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it has. It has, exactly. And that, that was, of course, one of the reasons I stopped watching uh, a lot of the NBA is that you couldn't I mean, what jersey are you wearing if you're a LeBron fan? Well, currently you're wearing a Lakers one, but, you know, it's just, there's just no loyalty or feeling that they're, you know, they're your player or something. They kind of just, I guess you have to have a loyalty to a player and not the team that they play for. There was because a, they're going to jump. I saw a picture of a lady wearing a LeBron jersey, but it was one third Cavaliers, one third Miami, and one third Lakers, but it was all mashed together there as you one go. jersey. <laughs> so did, she, you put, did she like have the Cavaliers like broken up a little bit so that it was one part here and then one part there? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, she had uh, all three Lebrons, all three versions of Lebron. So, yeah, it, it's crazy. Um, you know, like you I said, there is no. I come from that old age. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I come from that age where Steve Kerr was an Arizona Wildcat. Mm -hmm. That's it. He was an Arizona Wildcat. Okay, he's one of the most successful NBA players in the history of Arizona. And, he was a wildcat all the way through, mm -hmm. through and through. Okay, he, that was what he did. He made at times. I'm sure he clashed with Lude at some points and everything. But sure. he's he's a wildcat all his years and so forth. And so were all those players at that time. And so it's just a interesting. Uh, it's just an interesting change in the flavor of basketball. And you might say, oh, that's just you being old fashioned and so forth. But the idea of having a player tied to your school and chanting your singing your school song. Uh, all this that that was amateur sports or college basketball that's the core of it for me so right anyway that's maybe just my age show. <laughs> <laughs> no i agree with you i agree with you so going back to the original point that i was making probably five ten minutes ago is that we lost kirk Risa, we lost adama ball we lost azulis tabellis we lost courtney ramey and we lost Seth henderson and then now we're talking about the transfer portal 
some of the rumors around the transfer portal in Arizona specifically are that Ryan Nemhard is looking hard at two schools. Uh, he just had a visit with Gonzaga. Uh, he saw Gonzaga on, I believe, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, and then Sunday, he left Gonzaga and came to Arizona. And then he was here Sunday night and Monday. So those are the two schools he's looking at. His brother, Andrew Nemhard, uh, was recruited by Tommy Lloyd. And so it's interesting because you go onto Gonzaga's message, message boards and they're all saying, oh, Ryan's coming here. You know, his brother was a zag. Andrew's probably going to convince Ryan to be a zag. But Andrew was recruited heavily by Tommy Lloyd. And so there's that tie to Tommy Lloyd. And 247 Sports has five or six crystal ball predictions for Ryan Nemhard to go to Arizona. Uh, so it's going to be interesting because both are great schools. Both are West Coast schools. Uh, both are big-name programs. And I'm not going to say Creighton's not a big-name program, but I think Ryan Nemhard probably thought he wasn't going to get the recognition that he believes he deserves playing for a school like Creighton when he could play for in Arizona or a Gonzaga. Um, so that would definitely bolster Arizona's guards, uh, the depth at guard. You would have Ryan Nemhard and you would have Kylan Boswell as your guards. That sounds pretty good on paper, right? Oh, that, that would be amazing, I think. I think that would be utterly fantastic, too. It'd be, it's funny, too, because suddenly Creighton had a place in our heart as they were, of course, with the team we had to play to, for the Maui Invitational. And then plus they come up again as they're playing San Diego State towards the end of the uh, NCAA tournament. And they had a special place in our heart in this particular season. And suddenly to be a candidate to help transform Arizona in the guard position, Ryan would be, I think that would be utterly fantastic. It would be something else to... Uh, it, it would be a, a really big win for Tommy Lloyd as as of yet. Um, it, it seems to some extent that uh, you know he he's got to, he he's probably looking for some of those big names that he can say he brought over to the Arizona program because he's new. Let's let's face it. He won Coach of the Year in his first year last year, and this mm-hmm. year he's. Uh, He's, uh, he certainly did amazing. He did amazing things with, with the team as he did. But to a lot of the folks, I saw a lot of comments where they said, you know, that it was Sean Miller's recruits and so forth. There's a couple of his sprinkled in, uh, with, but for mostly Sean's team, his team will be coming soon. So that this would be the makeup of his recruiting and it would be part of his team. I think getting a big name like Ryan to come over would be amazing. Yeah, with Kerr and Tubelis leaving, this is officially Tommy Lloyd's team. So Anything he gets from here on out is all his. Uh, all go- him. Yep. It's all him. Going back to Nemhard and how he played against Arizona and Maui, I mean, he proved that he can play against big schools. You know, he was six for eight from the free throw line, two for four from three, six for 13 from the field, and scored 20 points against a good Arizona team. And so I look forward, if he does choose to to play for Arizona and Tommy Lloyd, I do look forward to seeing that backcourt of Ryan Nemhard and uh, Kylan Boswell working together and being our one-two guards. I think that is very lethal. And, you know, we talk a lot about how you can go far in the NCAA tournament. And a lot of that is based around guard play. Uh, if you have good guards, they can take you far. And I think UConn has shown that in their five titles since 1999. I think Villanova has shown that. I think Kansas has shown that. North Carolina has shown that when they won their title. So I, I think if we can follow that recipe and get back to point guard you, right? That's what Arizona is known for is the point guards and, and having really good guards. Uh, then we'll be all right. We'll be okay. 
And I think with some of the remaining pieces that we have left over and some of the other names that are in the transfer portal that may or may not come to fruition for Arizona, another one of them is Olivier uh, Kamua from Tennessee. And uh, he's he played really well against Arizona when they played here in McHale. And he's a tremendous forward, and he would be not a one-to-one replacement for Tubelis, but he would be a very sufficient forward to come in and obviously start right away. And with Tubelis being gone, I think that helps Tommy Lloyd's pitch to somebody like Olivier Kamua is, hey, now there's no uncertainty about whether Tubelis is coming back or not. He's going to the NBA draft, so we can guarantee you a starting spot. Uh, I think that starts to add some depth and some interest into Arizona basketball again. Uh, not that this is going to be a rebuilding year, but this could be uh, another year where Tommy Lloyd can dominate. And and one of the things I wanted to ask you is what is your thought? So do you think, for example, for Ryan, do you think that the shifting of uh, powers, I think that it would have been a challenge with Kerr and Kylan both being around to convince him to come on over, and it would probably, probably wouldn't have been the best match, but with Kerr departing and uh, Kylan, of course, you know, still just moving into a second year and stuff, how, how do you think that all fits in? How, how do you think he fits in with that? I think that... Do you think that improves his chances that he wants to come now that the, the, the team has opened up a bit more? I'll tell you what. I think that's the case, but I also think I, I enjoy Arizona having the last say. I like that Gonzaga saw him first and Arizona gets him last. I like having the lasting impression. I like him coming to Tucson where the weather is still kind of nice right now. Um, he won't have to worry about all the rain and snow or whatever. And uh, and I like just having that final word. And the fact that his brother had a really good relationship with Tommy Lloyd, I think that's just going to help solidify you know, Arizona as the team that he wants to be on. He can't go wrong either way, right? I mean, if he goes in place for Gonzaga, no, he, congrats. He <laughs> I mean, good for him. I, Gonzaga is going to be Gonzaga. I would think that I would think though there's got to be a lot of appeal of wanting to play for Tommy. Look, I don't know Tommy personally or anything, but here is a here is a, a, a up and coming young younger coach and stuff who's really he's one coach of the year or national coach of the year. He's really uh, got the reins of a great historic program and everything here in the West. And it's such great opportunity to play with someone like that. Do you think that? Uh, do you think I think Tommy also is a, just it's a really tough to say no to Tommy. So. I'm very, very curious to see how these players fit in, and, and it, it, it's exciting as we're waiting day for day to hear a, commit, hear a commitment. I know at one point TJ Bomba was a consideration, right? Yes, he was. Uh, just going back to <laughs> Nemhard real quick, though, uh, I think the tipping point might be that yes, his brother went to Gonzaga. Does he want to follow in his brother's footsteps, or did he leave Creighton because he wants to create his own path? I think if he wants to truly create his own path, I think Arizona might be the school for him because now it's not going to be, oh, the brother of Andrew is now playing for Gonzaga. And so, you know, the brothers will have played at Gonzaga together. I think he can carve out his own piece in college basketball with Arizona and kind of do his own thing. And my biggest concern with that is what is Kylan's take? Because if Kylan was promised, hey, you know, you're the guy going forward now, Oh, by the way, we just brought in this really good point guard from Creighton. You know, who? Where does I, that fit in? Does, I think Highlands. I, I think he'll. I think he'll be okay. I think there, there are a lot of discussions right now, and they're open as to what's going to happen. I, I one of the things that I think, and, and this will be a good segue into one of the topics you wanted to discuss that I think is great, 
is that one of the things that of course would be a for Ryan that would be a um, that would be a really big driver towards coming to Arizona would be is the competition you play against. Mm -hmm. So, for example, one of the one of the criticisms about Gonzaga, of course, is that they play in a quote unquote softer league. And so coming into the Pac-12 was entering a power conference and the ability to play against some of the, and I'm, I'm going to try not to laugh while I say this, some of the more top-notch um, um, type of competition. But now we've got this situation where USC, UCLA, two of the banner programs within the Pac-12 have departed. How do you think that, what do you think about that type of impact and the, how the Pac-12 reels from that? Well, I think, I think Ryan Nemhard would come to Arizona regardless because at least he'll get to play, you know, UCLA and USC this year. Um, I think USC and UCLA leaving is really going to hurt the Pac-12, obviously, um, not just from the financial standpoint, but those were staples in the Pac-10, and uh, and it's been really great competition. And I think because of that, I like what Tommy Lloyd is doing because if we switch to our next topic here, which is Arizona scheduling, uh, Arizona has on the books Duke, Alabama, and Michigan State next year. They're also going to be looking for a, a neutral court game and then also potentially signing a home-and-home home with another school. So Ryan's going to have the opportunity to play big schools. Now, he's going to have that opportunity at Gonzaga, not in the regular season, but in non-conference. Gonzaga usually plays in these big tournaments. They're always invited to the big tournaments, and they play the big-time teams too. Um but I think just the excitement around playing a program like Duke, which Duke has never scheduled a home and home with Arizona. Um, you know, Mike Krzyzewski was always worried about that because I know Lute wanted to play him, but uh, they never wanted to do it because I think them coming to Tucson was not fun for them. <laughs> you know, McHale Center is no. a very intimidating place to play, as we all know. You know, it's tough to win here. And so having that on the schedule, having a team like Alabama. Now, Alabama's going to lose Brandon Miller probably, so – uh, they're not going to be the same and Alabama. The rest of the team may be in jail. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So they they may or may not be close to what they were last year, but uh, it's still an aggressive schedule. And then Michigan State, what can we say about Tom Izzo? He always is a great coach. He's always one of those guys in the NCAA tournament that makes it a lot farther than you think you will, especially with a, a down squad. You know, you don't think the squad's going to do anything, and all of a sudden Tom Izzo's in the Final Four. So – it's always good to play against these high-profile, big-time games, and I love that Tommy Lloyd is scheduling these. He's not saying, well, maybe we'll meet him in this or that tournament. No, these are scheduled games on the books, ready to go. Yeah, and this is, this is I think that's one of the things, too, is that you, you, you've got to have a high-profile schedule and stuff. Not let them. It, the other thing, too, is let's forget about the, for the moment that uh, uh, UCLA and USC leaving and forget about the Pac-12 for a moment and focus on that. One of the chances that you have in your season to test and see who you are and to get yourself known as those non-con wins, right? We mm -hmm. talked about how important non-conference wins are. You only get a certain number of them before you enter conference play. And then you rarely have a non-conference game during conference play. And so that's what it's all about. Some folks choose to take the college football approach and score the, they take on the soft schedule and so forth. And so they never really prove themselves. And they got those few non-conference games to really build their resume up. And then they blow them on playing, you know, not, not the greatest schedule. I'm really, really impressed that our strength of schedule will be such that it is because of the scheduling that uh, Tommy's fighting for. So kudos to him for really pushing to get named, you know, first, you know, first class types of games that will attract national attention 
Now, if we could just get them on a network that will play them early enough, so that someone will actually be able to watch them besides those folks on the list. The CW. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, I, there were some very hilarious and interesting articles as the Pac-12 was trying to negotiate contra- contracts, including streaming contracts, and some of the some of the candidates they were considered were so laughable that uh, I said, "Boy, this is truly a sad state of affairs." I thought for the moment and stuff we might end up as going out, going out as. Do you think maybe they'll cut up our games into short little slices and put them on TikTok? <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Short form Arizona basketball. I can't even take long Short form. form so. Arizona basketball. Yeah. Hey, you guys, don't get distracted by the boring timeouts and all the rest of that. Here's just some real quick clips of the game in live action. Does that mean we'll have so, short, no, shorter just, heart attacks instead of longer heart attacks because of the cardiac cats? That's it. That's, that's <laughs> it. That's it. I, Can we just it, go to the Big so 12 already? I, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm ready to go to the Big 12. Can you imagine a conference I, I, where you have Arizona, Kansas, Baylor, Texas Tech, TCU, Kansas State, Oklahoma State, West Virginia, Houston. I mean, come on. How, how, that, that, that would just be insane. That's that the be best basketball conference conference. conference in America. That's it. That's the super conference. And you can't even complain yeah, about so football that, either because tech, TCU made it to the, the Final Four in the college football playoff. They made it to the college football playoff. So clearly Big 12 that, basketball isn't so bad, or football isn't so bad. Yeah, I think that the, I think that that would be that would be amazing. I think there there's a lot up in the air as to what the future of the Pac-12 hold, holds, and we, you and I will uh, certainly discuss that more as we move on to talk about where it's going to go. And then what will be interesting historically will be look at some of the comments that we've made about what we predict and what's going to happen versus what really does. Right. Uh, before we head out here, I got two more topics here. Uh, I wanted to talk to you real quick because I know you're not the biggest NBA fan, but I still want to give a shout out to our guys that are playing in the playoffs. Uh, we've got Andre Iguodala, obviously, with the Golden State Warriors. Steve Kerr, obviously, with the Golden State Warriors. We got Aaron Gordon at the Denver Nuggets. Also, Zeke Naji with the Denver Nuggets. Uh, Dale and Terry plays for the Chicago Bulls, which they were in the play-in. Uh, and they lost, uh, but he was also technically in the playoffs. And then you have DeAndre Ayton with the Phoenix Suns and then Christian Coloco with the Toronto Raptors. So it's nice to see the Wildcats representing pretty well there in the NBA playoffs. What do you think? I love it. I really do. It's amazing when we, the, the number of Arizona players that not only have made it into the NBA, but are making an impact and continuing to play and uh, get, get a chance to play at the highest level all the way into the playoffs towards the championship. As we know, as you walk through the hallways in the Kell Center, there's a, a board, one of the posters you see up there shows all the, uh, the NBA players that have gone into, you know, all the players from Arizona that have gone into the NBA, and then it breaks them out into categories, those who made it into the playoffs, those who have won championships and so forth. And seeing that build and continue on and seeing just reaching the highest levels in the professional uh, tier of sports and basketball is just, you can't feel, pr- I mean, I, my heart just goes out and I feel so proud of the, uh, feel, feel so proud of the team. By default, I'm always going to, you know, lean towards a team that has an Arizona player on it and, and root for them to win. But of course, now there's enough of them that they could, they'll be playing each other, right? <laughs> Exactly. And we're not even talking about some of the big ones, too. I mean, you've got Lowry Markinen. Utah didn't make the playoffs, so Lowry Markinen is, is missing. You've got TJ McConnell. You've got Ben Matherin. You know, those guys aren't in the playoffs with the Pacers. You've got Kobe Simmons. So there's still a lot of Arizona guys that are in the NBA that just they didn't make the playoffs. But, man, there's some big names that, that are missing. Uh, I wanted to give a quick shout-out to Benedict Matherin because 
the dude averaged 16.7 points as a rookie off the bench. <laughs> ben, ben, we knew that, that Ben had it in him. We knew that Ben was going to be that special player and that he would, he would start tearing it up when he got into the NBA. Thank goodness he did, and he started becoming the stuff of the highlight reels for the Indiana Pacers. So hats off to you, Ben, for doing that. And you're, I think if anybody hasn't figured it out, Ricky and I both really do love TJ McConnell. The guy was an amazing guy. And we really, when he didn't get drafted, we said, boy, some NBA team really needs to take a look at what this guy can do to help transform things. Well, that's what happened. And look at the guy now. Yeah. When Sean Miller lost TJ McConnell, obviously he came here from Duquesne and only had two years of eligibility. But um, when TJ graduated, uh, we always say, you know, on either Miller's teams or even Tommy Lloyd's teams now, you know, what would this team have been like with TJ McConnell as the point guard? <laughs> you know, he's always kind of the go-to guy because he was, he meant so much to Arizona and he did such a good job. You know, he was that extension of Sean Miller. And so he was the coach out on the floor. And right now Arizona's missing that guy. And we're hoping we can get a, a Ryan Nemhart to come in here and be a leader or Kylan can build that up, you know, as he matures and as, as he grows in the Arizona program. Uh, but just imagine a guy like that who can take some of these guys and say, hey, look, you're not taking this seriously. The NCAA tournament is a big deal. Selection Sunday, it's a big deal. You know, TJ McConnell was good at those things. He was good at calling guys out if he had to. Not in a destructive way. Obviously, it was, you know, good criticism. But uh, we missed that. And so every time we speak of TJ McConnell, it's usually always good things. And it's because that's the kind of leader he was. It's great things, but to get back, to get to the point that you're making, that the the fact that there are so many Arizona players playing at the highest level of basketball profession and stuff, this again shows you what this program, even as it's transitioned through multiple coaches, what this program's been able to do for the for these past decades, just to deliver that level of excellence that we continue to have outstanding class players who make it to that highest level of the sport. So. Hats off to the Arizona Wildcats for continuing that tradition. Absolutely. And the last point I wanted to talk to you about is UCLA and USC and what their teams are going to look like, what their rosters are going to look like. If we take a look at UCLA to start, UCLA is losing Tiger Campbell, who declared for the NBA draft, Jaime Jaquez, who also declared for the NBA draft, Amari Bailey, who declared for the NBA draft, Jalen Clark, who declared for the NBA draft. And I think David Singleton graduated, and Adem Bona is not in the transfer portal, but I've heard rumors that that could be coming soon, uh, or he may try declaring himself. So he may be gone as well. He's still up in the air. We're not going to you know, break any news here, but uh, Adem Bona could be up in the air. And so with all those UCLA players leaving, I just wanted to give them a little... I think that this is going to be. Let's see how Mick Cronin does now. He's uh, he, he's going to experience the John Calipari effect, which is they're here, they're gone. Now let's, let's build a new team. Yep. And so uh, let's see what uh, what he's able to do with basically a completely different and new look. Right. Right. And then uh, USC, USC has Boogie Ellis coming back, which I was glad to see. I like Boogie Ellis a lot. I think he's a really good player for the Pac-12. Well. Um, and then they have, I do. Yeah. And also, he's got the name Boogie. What are we going to do in the Pac-12 without somebody named Boogie? And he was supposed to come to Arizona at one point. Sean Miller had heavily recruited him, and Arizona was the favorite, but he ended up going to USC. 
Um, USC is also getting the top player in the class next year, uh, Isaiah Collier. And then they're also, they've got Vince Iwachuku, which we liked him as well. Uh, he's the one that had the heart surgery and, uh, you know, we're excited that he's out playing. That's really great for him. Uh, and then possibly, possibly, he hasn't decided yet, but Bronny James may go to USC. So LeBron James's son, Bronny, is looking at USC as a possible school to go to. Uh, for probably one year, as we expect, and then he'll go play with LeBron. But uh, no, I think I think Andy Enfield lined his team up for the future too. I mean, he, with with uh, you know experienced uh, leadership and stuff from guys that have been playing, such as Bogey, and then uh, bringing in top-notch talent. Andy's really just continued that pipeline flow and make USC. USC could end up being a top the top program at LA now that everybody starts looking at. Um, you know, they struggled back and forth with their identity with UCLA having the power of basketball program in L.A. But I think USC with this type of uh, with this type of infusion could, and with the changes at UCLA, it really could stand out as the school to, to for basketball in, in that region. What do you think happens when UCLA and USC move on to the Big Ten? Do they immediately become the top two teams in the Big Ten, in your opinion? Now, I think one of the things that we're going to see, too, when they go into the Big Ten is that we're going to see a little bit of transition issues. Some of it may be due to the fact that when they do road games, it's going to be completely, utterly, well, this is a this is a double-edged sword, see. To some extent, having your team completely turn over means that they don't have the history of undergoing road games in the Pac-12 and knowing what that feels like. So the transition's almost non-existent because you bring new players in, they haven't, played in the Pac-12 before, so there's no transition, They're effectively playing into whatever system you have. But the UCLA and USC program has to adapt to the way things are, including the geographical dispersity of the Big Ten. Uh, the teams they're playing and all of that is going to be new for them. I, I do think there'll be some transition time for them to just move right into that. What are your thoughts? Well, I think they'll be one of the 25 teams that gets into the NCAA tournament with the Big Ten, so they're all set there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, you know, I don't even know what to say about the term ten anymore. <laughs> yeah, right, right. They haven't had ten teams in how long? <laughs> right. If you could, if we could get a few more teams to move either into the Big Ten, or the Big Twelve, and stuff, we could just basically split it up and say, here, there you go, you've got the entire nation covered. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Maybe that's what they're trying to do because the rumor is that maybe Oregon and Washington are hoping to go to the Big Ten. They just maybe haven't received an invite yet, but uh, who knows. They're trying to poach from everywhere, so it's so yeah. That's it's it's an amazing world and how basketball has changed as we've been watching. So Arizona, uh, of course, back in the day with the Pac-10 and you know, is there the transfer portal didn't exist and all that, and so it's a different world nowadays. You've got all of these factors coming into place. These super mega conferences, the coaching between conferences, the fight over TV rights that has gotten to a new scale. All of these things are really changing the way basketball is. And to some extent, some of it will be good, some will be bad. I think that the reason why we had such a chaotic uh, tournament is that we saw some of the effects, for example, the transport portal and so forth. But there was always a discussion that, that there was more parity in college basketball. But seeing kind of some of these ingredients come to play and introduce kind of a new level of chaos and kind of breaking up of the dominance of certain blue bloods and making it kind of uh, spread out has been very interesting to watch. But uh, still some getting used to for some of us old timers. I'm uh, I'm anxious to see that first road trip for UCLA and USC out to Maryland. <laughs> oh, 
oh, I'm, 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 I'm just loving this idea of them having to do some of those crazy road trips that are, <laughs> that are that spread out. Yeah, I, I know Maryland has to come play UCLA and USC as well, so it's it, you know turnabouts fair play, but it's it's going to be interesting. There's going to be a lot more travel because traveling up and down the West Coast is pretty easy. Um, so it's going to yeah, be it's going to be interesting. UCLA got a, at least UCLA got a little bit of taste of that by doing the road trip they did this last year with Maryland and Kentucky. Well, and what's also interesting about the Big Ten is they don't do their scheduling in couples like the Pac-12 does. You know, Pac-12, you play Arizona State and Arizona, Washington or Washington State. With the Big Ten, it's it's not like that. It's not, you know, the same couples. So it's going to be interesting for them. Like I said, I honestly believe that there'll be a little bit of transition issues and so forth, but the players will adapt. Basketball is basketball. One of the things that's also different, too, is that when you're playing the West, the maximum time zone difference, you, you don't really have that much of a time zone difference. You have a bit of one on this. So you take the combination of the distance, a bit of a time zone difference with some of these. And, of course, the culture of the schools that they'll be playing against will be different. It's going to be very interesting. It's going to be an interesting mix, too, because there was a lot of discussion about what is East Coast and West Coast basketball. And now with the Super Leagues, West and East Coast can be on the same league. Yeah, right. The lines are blurred more now than ever, right? Yeah, exactly. So, all right. Well, any other thoughts, Ed, as we wrap up this almost an hour podcast. <laughs> I think, I think between the two of us, and I know with the rest of the college basketball fans, a lot of the, you know, the outcome of the, how just chaotic the tournament was, how, you know, things just were just mind blowing of how college basketball has changed and how it's kind of led to a really fun and interesting tournament. And, and of course, the offseason and, and the NBA draft and the transfer portal are a drama of their own. I think all of these different pieces and stuff are worth discussing. And you and I had a lot to think about and wanted to kind of talk with the rest of the college basketball world. So, yeah, I think it makes sense to, you know, it made sense that this was kind of a longer cast because of the all those type of cool things that are happening. So, again, college basketball lives on even post-March. Well, and I'm biased, but obviously, um, but you have to love an hour long podcast. If you're an Arizona fan where it's all about Arizona basketball, it's about the NBA guys that are playing right now. It's about the current rosters. It's about the schedules. You know, we try and go in depth all in on Arizona. And so if you are an Arizona fan, this should be the podcast for you. So uh, if you have any comments or suggestions, always, you know, let us know. Um, you can find me at Ricky C. Garrett on Twitter, and you can contact me and let me know if there's a topic you'd like to discuss. Um, but we love hearing from people about what they like about the podcast and uh, and what maybe they don't like and maybe some suggestions on what we can change. So uh, we're trying a new setup here. I've got a, a new mixer here that we're trying, and I got a new microphone, so hopefully it sounds a little bit better. And uh, we're including some sound effects, as you heard, the nice shot, buddy. Uh, we're trying to incorporate some Arizona-themed sound effects into our podcast to make it uh, feel more like an Arizona podcast. So uh, thank you all for listening today. And uh, we're going to keep tabs on all the news and everything that's coming out, all the transfer portal stuff. So as Arizona gets these guards coming in and forwards, uh, we will keep you posted and we'll, we'll get another podcast going as soon as we hear some news. Hopefully some good news is coming soon. Um, but Ed, thank you for, for being on. And, and everybody stay tuned for more news. We'll certainly be on while we're in the off season for college basketball and start to prep for football season. All right, everyone. Thank you and take care and have a good night. Take care.
Quasar top of the key. Looked at the three, didn't take it. Underneath to Ballas open and lays it in. Cats with the ball the other way. Feed it to Ramey. Spots for the three, got him. Give it off to Larson. Larson, fast drive down the lane, laid up and good. Umar puts it on the floor, into the paint, pumps, goes up, rolls it in.